Major League Baseball's winter meetings were a complete dud until the Yankees' blockbuster trade of outfielder Juan Soto last night. Are the Yankees back as a contender with this move, and is Shohei Otani's free agency suffocating the rest of the sport? Week 14 in the NFL looks rather ordinary again, but there are a few games that we'll have our eyes set on as we inch closer toward the final quarter of the regular season. The NBA Cup semifinals are tonight in Las Vegas. I can tell you which matchup will have the suits in the league offices keel over as one that they do not want to see. The return of Patrick Kane as he hopes to push the Red Wings to greater heights. Another action-packed, non-stop sports podcast party awaits. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. There's no such thing as slowing down when it comes to expressing what's deep in my chest on anything that's happening in sports. And you know what time it is, people, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, we could discuss the NFL. We know that football right now, everybody is just gravitated towards with college football now. Not have to worry about that. I get it. We have Army, Navy on Saturday. We cannot, by any way, shape, or form, disrespect that. But Army, Navy, in the grand scheme of things, is nothing really to go crazy about. We have the Heisman that's coming up on Saturday night that evening after Army-Navy, and I'll get into that a little bit later on as well. But with that aside, and even though we can't even dream about pitchers and catchers or warm weather, especially if you're in the Northeast, and even though it's a little chilly this morning, but I'm starting off with baseball. That's right, and I'm sure there's probably people moaning and groaning at this very moment who are listening and say, oh, come on, Jay Reels, I want to talk NFL. Who cares about Juan Soto? Who cares about Shohei Otani? Who cares about baseball? Well, trust me, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on it. I do want to kick it off only because of the trade that was made last night, and that was a big one. And if you're a Yankee fan this morning, I get it that there still needs to be some work done as far as your rotation, and maybe even getting rid of another player... On the roster, if your name is Gleyber Torres. But you have to like what Brian Cashman did sometime in the dinner hour last night where the trade was consummated between Juan Soto and Trent Grisham, a spare outfielder who could be good off the bench and another left-handed bat to go along with Alex Verdugo, who you got early in the week from the Red Sox in a rare trade between those two teams. And with the winter meetings, a lot of people thought there was going to be some juice, there was going to be a lot of intrigue, and you got anything but that until this deal was made, and that's why I'm starting off the podcast with this particular story and angle, and then Otani as well after that. But the Yankees in a big move, one that they got younger, one that the left-handed bat that they desperately needed, and no, it's not Anthony Rizzo, or no, it's not Joey Gallo. It's a guy that you could put right in the middle of that lineup and maybe even bat him two to put Judge three. And we understand that Judge is your two hitter for God knows how long, 
But imagine Juan Soto and the pitches that he's going to see when he steps up to the plate, knowing that they're not going to want to give Judge anything. And here is Soto, one of the more select hitters that you have in baseball, if not the premier hitter. From a standpoint of him drawing bases on balls more than strikeouts, a guy whose on-base percentage is well over 40%, and 40% is the standard. Going back to the 80s and going back to pretty much the beginning of time in baseball where now if you're in the 360s or if you're getting on base 36% of the time, that's considered good. So imagine Soto who's on base is well north of 40%. Couple that with a guy who could hit 30 home runs in a sleep and with that short porch in right field, he could probably hit 40 to 45 home runs and not have to be the guy, the complete catalyst or even... The one that's going to have to carry the offensive load on his back. No, because you have Judge, you have Stanton, you have other guys on the team that could shoulder that responsibility. And even though you gave up five players in the deal, Michael King, most notably King, who was a guy that pitched pretty well here, even though he's 28 years of age. So you look at him like a guy that would not be part of the bigger picture down the road considering that he would have been a free agent soon and who knows if you would have given him big bucks to stay on your team considering his age and I understand that's pretty crass when you think about it because there are pitchers getting big time deals at the age of 40 a la Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, etc. But King is a guy who's still trying to find his groove in Major League Baseball and then you have the young prospect Drew Thorpe who I believe was the sticking point for one Brian Cashman to give up in the process that they did not want to part with. But if you're going to get a guy who, like I mentioned, has been in the World Series and won, who has an offensive prowess to him, not only just with his power, but also with his plate selection and his eye. And even though he's not a great outfielder, by far he's barely average. But a guy that you could plug into your lineup and pencil in day in, day out, as he played 162 games last year for San Diego... This was a no-brainer. This was a slam dunk. I could have made this trade. You didn't give up anybody big, a la Anthony Volpe, or even Oswaldo Peraza, or some of the other young studs that are in their minor leagues that you did not want to part with. I get, get it that the pitcher in Drew Thorpe was a tough one, but still, this was a trade you had to make. And if you're the Yankees... You don't have to worry about getting some aging veteran. And this is not a knock on Rizzo or even Gallo for that matter. But here's a guy that you could just plug into your lineup and don't even have to worry about from a standpoint of health, from a standpoint of even productivity, and even a guy that's going to come here and not have to be, quote-unquote, the guy to carry this team into October and maybe to a World Series. Because that's why you paid Aaron Judge all that money last offseason. Now we could get to what he's going to be worth, and if I'm the Yankees, and I think this is what's going to happen if I had to predict, they will sign him to a long-term deal before the start of the regular season, March 30th next year, or 29th, or whatever the date is. Because the last thing the Yankees want to do is go into the regular season, 2024, not pay him. And then, just as I mentioned before, in that lineup, let's say he's your two-hitter, and then you're going to have potentially a monster walk year, which we've seen a lot of these players do. All you got to do is look to number 99 in right field when he bet on himself and what happened then? And I could see Soto having that type of year, not 62 and 130 RBIs, but I could see him having one of those 45-125 type years. He'll bat around 300 or close to it, walk 150 times, strike out 90 times, and then you're going to have to pay him through the wazoo. And remember, the Nationals offered him 15 years, or what was rumored, 15 for 440. And he even turned that down. And we all know who his agent is. And that's a one Scott Boris. So if the Yankees play their cards right and are smart, they would sign him to that long-term deal now. Now, I get it that Boris could be that determining factor to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to sign anything on the dotted line until we get to next offseason. And he may play it smart that way, and that's going to be the game of chicken. The Yankees may say, here's $400 million off the bat, which I don't think would be the case because that means you're going to pay more than Aaron Judge. And granted that Judge is, what, six years older than Soto? And Judge signed a nine-year deal where I'm sure Boris and his camp, they're going to look for at least minimum the nine years that Judge got and maybe even more considering his age. 
are the Yankees willing to do that between now and the end of March next year? I don't know. But if I'm Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman, I would do my best to fork over the money now because if he does have that monster season, you're going to be in big trouble. And it's not as if the Yankees can't afford him. It's not as if the Yankees will have to lift up the sofa cushions to see what change is lying around or have to break open the piggy bank to see how much they can afford to keep Soho on the team. And I get it, that's another story for another time, but I'm putting this out there now because as I like to say from time to time, check the receipts. If you're the Yankees, you have to do your damnness to sign this guy before the start of next year. Because if not, and he goes ahead and has an MVP caliber season... Not to say the Yankees are going to be screwed, but they're really going to be going up, you know what's creek, without a paddle. Because then they're going to have to really break the bank to keep him on the team, to go along with the likes of Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton with his contract, Garrett Cole making $36 million a year, and then all bets will be off at that time. But this was a big-time move that the Yankees had to make, and good for them. Does this automatically make them a contender? Does this automatically put them amongst the tops in the AL? It doesn't matter if Soto was here or not. The Yankees are always going to be in contention. And I get it, a down year last year, 82-80. and Judge was out for those two months, which killed them offensively. But they're always going to be in the mix based on their talent, based on their resources. So I can't look at this and automatically say that they're a contender. There's still a couple of pieces away. I think they still need another starting pitcher. And who knows if that's going to be Yamamoto when it's all said and done. And I'm sure the Mets, with Steve Cohen reportedly meeting Yamamoto sometime this past offseason to where they had a meal and who knows what was discussed then. There's also been reports that during the World Baseball Classic that Kodai Senga, who is part of the Rookie of the Year class of 2023 in the National League, And Yamamoto were throwing partners during that time. So who knows if there's a bit of a bond or a bit of a friendship between the two where he may try to recruit him to come to Queens as opposed to the Bronx. And even with Soto there, the Yankees are still going to be in the mix in the AL, but there's still a couple of pieces away. And I think it's more from a pitching standpoint. And let's face it, who's in the back of that bullpen? We know that the Yankee bullpen has been good throughout the last couple of years, and especially post-Mariano, but they haven't had that one guy, and we could say a role is Chapman, but we know Chapman has been erratic. And we understand that Mariano Rivera, or those type of talents, do not grow on trees. But, I still think that the Yankees, although they'll be there in the AL East, and will be one of the teams that I would think, come next October, will be fighting for a World Series championship, come postseason time, but there's still work to be done. I don't think that this one move all of a sudden is going to make the Yankees a World Series contender. So, we shall see how the rest plays out, especially with Yamamoto and some of these other pitchers that are out there, Blake Snell and guys like that. But when we take a look at these winter meetings that just came and gone, and a lot of the talk was going to be Otani, and I'll get to him in a second, and where... Guys like Cody Bellinger and Blake Snell, maybe even Mike Trout, where early in the week the GM Perry Manasian said, "Uh uh-uh, Trout, 100% is not going anywhere. So, Angel fans, although you may lose out on Otani, at least you'll have Trout there. And who knows if he's going to be the same player that he once was, considering he's had all these injuries throughout the last few years. The winter meeting certainly didn't have or didn't live up to a lot of the hype that a lot of people thought was going to take place here from Sunday to the middle of the week yesterday, and then, of course, you had the trade there last night with Soto. Now, as for Otani, it's almost as if he held up baseball to the extent where a lot of the winter meetings and the flat line that it was when it comes to buzz or even any type of interest or intrigue is because everybody was looking to see where Otani was going to go. And then with him being the first domino, then maybe the Snells, the Bellingers, the Matt Chapmans of the world, those dominoes would have fell afterwards. But here's the thing. Otani, we know that contract could be so impactful that we don't know what that number is going to be. A lot of people think it's going to start with a five. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near six because of his Tommy John surgery. 
But I would think it's going to be more than what Trout got in Anaheim, the $436 million, which was record-breaking. And I get it. Everybody's waiting with bated breath to see what Otani was going to make. And then you have these reports about the meetings that he had with Dave Roberts and how Roberts leaked that. And then his own team hung him out to dry as far as revealing that to the press where Otani wanted to have this privately where he didn't want to get out that he had these long meetings with these teams. Even the Blue Jays were another team that got into the mix to see as far as testing the waters to where they could probably procure the services of Otani north of the border. So that's another faction of this whole suffocation, as I call it, when it comes to Otani and this whole process. Because to go back to the former, why baseball was waiting for Otani to sign and then that was going to affect their clients along the way? Nonsense. You think Cody Bellinger is going to get an 8 or 10 year contract, anything close to what Otani's going to get? Or Blake Snell or Matt Chapman or anybody else out there? No. This guy's going to get the richest contract in sports, you would think, when it's all said and done. And that's including Patrick Mahomes when he got that deal with the Chiefs. What was it? 10 years for $500 million? And it's been restructured since then. And who knows? It may even be north of that when it's all said and done. A little bit smidge over 500. And if it was me, I wouldn't do it. Because you're not going to see him toe the rubber until 2025. And you're going to pay what? At least $50 million a year for a guy who's going to get four at-bats a game? And yes, we get it, the impact you're going to have as far as marketing, as far as merchandising. That, I get. Totally understand. But it's all about what he does on the field, more so than off the field. And then, when you talk about this whole process, he's a guy that wants to be close to the vest, that is not outwardly public. I get it that he could be a little bit shy and maybe a little bit timid, but he does have commercials out there, and he is a guy that the spotlight's going to follow him whether he likes it or not. So therefore, if he's upset with the Dodgers or even Toronto to a lesser degree as to, wait a minute, I wanted to have this privately within the organizations that I've had these discussions with, and then it comes out there. Well, what do you expect? The guy's a rock star anywhere he goes, so you know that any slither or any just kernel of news or... Anything that's going to be noteworthy that's going to impact or even affect what this signing is going to be, you know it's going to be out there. So even if Otani comes out of a hotel and he stubs his toe, that's going to be news. Is it going to be silly? Absolutely, but this is the world we live in. So even if they put a microphone in front of Dave Roberts and say, did you guys meet with Otani? And all he had to say was, yeah, we met him for two or three hours. No other comment after that. That's going to be newsworthy. And for Otani to be upset at that, I get it that he may have an eye roll or whatever, but what else do you expect when you're the biggest star in the sport, a guy who won his second MVP in the last three years, and as we all know, has been a recent phenomenon when it comes to his pitching and his batting skills. So how I look at it is, can he be upset about it? All right, fine. But is it a thing where, oh, I got to shut all discussions and pretty much be a hermit here until I pop out of my home or apartment or wherever he's at and say, all right, I'm signing with X team. It's nonsense. It really is. And I'm not trying to say that the Bryce Harpers of the world or the Manny Machados when they had their free agency process, what was it, four years ago or so, that everybody was waiting with bated breath to see what they were going to do. But obviously they handled it the way they did. And Otani, I get it with him being the face of the sport right now, that he's going to protect whatever it is on his end to not have anything be released until he's good and ready. But come on. Everybody is going to wait to see what's going to happen here. So therefore, for him to react a certain way or for him to just kind of pop out when he feels like it or when he wants to, sadly, that's not how it works. And it's great that he wants to be private about it. And I'm not knocking that aspect of it, but he can't really frown upon a story that comes out about the Dodgers meeting with two to three, you know, meeting for two to three hours and where the manager comes out and says that and where his own team, like I said, hangs him out to dry, which was unfair on that part. But 
I just can't wait for him to sign. It's almost, as I've said in the past, just wake me up when he signs with a team and then I'll assess it from there. As opposed to, oh, this team's rumored. Oh, now this is the front runner. Oh, now this is the dark horse team. I don't care. Just let me know when and where he signs and that's it. And that's what you have with the baseball. Now I can move on, people. I know there's a couple of other little deals that happened. Craig Kimbrell to Baltimore, and I get it. He's a stopgap for Felix Bautista, who is going to be on the shelf with Tommy John. But that, and then Mookie Betts is now going to be your regular, everyday second baseman moving forward, and that's one that he's on board with. He never felt that he was an outfielder, although he became a great outfielder, as we know. But that's what I got with baseball. We can move on now to the NFL And the reason why I didn't bring up the NFL is I put on my helmet and shoulder pads is that you have a very ordinary schedule. I understand Philadelphia-Dallas Sunday night. That is a huge game. But the schedule overall (sighs) makes you want more. And you have a scenario where there are no more bye games after this week. And the two teams that have buys are Arizona and Washington. So we could thank God... You don't have to worry about the Cardinals or Commanders here this week. But you have a schedule where tonight kicks off New England at Pittsburgh. No Kenny Pickett as he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. The Steelers, they need to win this game in the worst way. Because if they have any shot of making it to the postseason, they cannot lose back-to-back weeks to two win teams. Arizona last week and New England this week. That's all there is to it. And as I mentioned on the podcast Monday, if you want to go back to that, The Steelers historically have not fared well against Bill Belichick coach teams. I get it. A lot of that has to do with Tom Brady. But remember, last year, week two, when New England went to Pittsburgh with Mac Jones, and I understand Gunnar Olszewski muffed a punt, the former Patriot, as he helped out his former team, but they still lost to the Patriots even without Tom Brady. So just keep that in mind when you're watching 8-15 tonight on Amazon. But the rest of the schedule, it is ordinary, but there are some games that at least we could take a look at when it comes to these last four weeks after this week down the stretch of the regular season you have to look at Tampa and Atlanta because Tampa's still in the race when it comes to the NFC South and Atlanta is currently in first place so with Atlanta can they get the seven and six can Tampa pull off an upset on the road again it's not a five-star matchup to me it's a two and a half star matchup but it has a bit of intrigue because With Tampa still gunning for a division title, and with Atlanta very average at best, that's a game that we'll have to pay attention to. Indianapolis at Cincinnati, big game for the Bengals after that Monday night win in Jacksonville where you have another big quarterback injured and a one Trevor Lawrence with the ankle. Who knows what his status is going to be? In fact, a lot of people think that he may actually suit up and play This Sunday against the Browns, which that's another game that I'll talk about next. But for Indianapolis, who had that big win there in Tennessee, 7-5 in that muddled AFC playoff picture to go along with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And they have a big game there the following week where Pittsburgh goes to Indianapolis. But for the Bengals, who had that big win with Jake Browning, 32-37, 350 yards, looking like Joe Burrow when you think about it. So they keep their faint playoff hopes alive because we do not expect Jake Browning to all of a sudden be a poor man's Joe Burrow. So even though with them at 500, that's an important game for them if they want to stay within this playoff race in the AFC. So that's another game you got to pay attention to. Jacksonville and Cleveland, as I mentioned. Jacksonville had a golden opportunity to get the one seed, at least as of right this moment. But with them losing... They fall back in the conference, but they're still in good stead for the division. And with them going to Cleveland, who the last couple of weeks losing at Denver and losing at LA, back home, let's see if they could get back to the win column and see if they could keep themselves at arm's length with Pittsburgh and the aforementioned teams in that race. You have the Rams going to Baltimore. Rams have now put themselves although on the outside looking in as of right this moment, but a team that you have to keep your eye on, considering you have Green Bay, you have Minnesota, the team's at the bottom of the NFC playoff race. So with them and in Baltimore, who are trying to keep pace with Miami, and they have a big matchup later on in the year, which is going to be huge, not only for tiebreakers, but for possibly a one seed. So that's a game, again, not overall sexy, but 
because they're a team that's fighting for the playoffs and a team that's fighting for a one seed, that's a game you got to look after. Seattle at San Francisco, we just saw this on Thanksgiving night, but for Seattle, who is another one of those teams that are fighting on the fringe of the NFC, and San Francisco trying to gun for the one seed, especially with Philadelphia and Dallas playing that night. Denver and the Chargers, Denver only because even with their loss against Houston, fringe playoff team in the AFC. Buffalo and Kansas City, five-star appeal, but with Buffalo, another team on the outside looking in, this is a must-win for them, and they have Dallas coming into their building the following week, so this is a big-time litmus test to see whether or not they're going to be primed to get into the postseason and maybe make a run as a 5, 6, or 7 seed, because you can forget about the division. They're going to be in that lower rung in the AFC playoff positioning. And then you have the big game, Philadelphia and Dallas, where, to me, when you think about it, I think this game is more important for Philadelphia. Now, if Dallas wins, they're going to be in good stead for a division, which, if they do win... They'll be a two seed and not have to go the route of what they did last year as a five seed having to play the NFC South in a 4-5 matchup and then had to go to San Francisco as we saw. And if they would have beaten the Niners, they would have to go to Philadelphia. Their road will be a lot less hectic to where they will host two home games if that would be the case as opposed to having to go on the road. But the reason why I think this is more for Philadelphia for them to win this game, A, They'll still have a game advantage over San Francisco when it comes to home field. And B, they will lock the division and have to worry about Dallas the rest of the way. And even though Dallas' schedule gets hard, like I mentioned, they have to go to Buffalo. They also have to go to Miami. They have Detroit coming into their building, which we know Dallas plays well at home. But Detroit, who knows? Jekyll and Hyde, which team are you going to get? And then they have to go to Washington, which I understand... The Commanders are a dead team walking, but watch that be their Super Bowl and try to at least get Ron Rivera out on a high note before he gets the axe on Black Monday. So, like I mentioned, I think this game is more important for Philadelphia than it is for Dallas. By far. Because San Francisco's charging hard. And San Francisco has a tiebreaker, as we know. So if they end up even in the record column... So if both teams, let's say, are 13-4, and four, San Francisco is the one seed. Where if Philadelphia wins, and they still have to go to Seattle the week after, and then after that, it lightens up where they have the Giants for two games and sandwiched by Arizona. So once they get past these next two games, and in particular this game because it's a division rival, it's on the road, and with the Eagles sputtering a little bit, to me, this is going to be a gut check. And we've seen Philadelphia play with these gut check type games. Whether it was in Kansas City, obviously the game Buffalo at home, and a couple other games along the way which were early in the season. So I just want to talk about of recent note. They're going to need one more gut check to see whether or not they're going to be able to pull off, I'm not going to say a miracle if they win this game. But I think Dallas, they're going to know what's in front of them. And because of the home cooking and they play well, in their building, it's going to be a tough task for the Eagles to win. Is it a tall order? No, but it's very important. I think Dallas is going to win the game because of their home cooking and how they performed at AT AT&T Stadium, but would I be surprised if the Eagles win? Absolutely not. But I think the Eagles, they're going to have to really step it up on defense. We understand that fast track there in that surface underneath that dome, but I think Dallas will prevail, and if that's going to be the case, I think it's going to be tough sledding for the Eagles the rest of the way. Even with the back end of their schedule lightening up, but with San Francisco and their schedule being light, even with Baltimore going in on Christmas night, to me, it's going to be advantage San Francisco the rest of the way if Philadelphia loses this game Sunday night. And then you have the two Monday night games, which I don't like. Tennessee at Miami and Green Bay at New York. Please, is there an NBA game I could watch? Or an NHL game? Those two games are just, ugh, unwatchable. And I get it, Miami's going to need the game, especially after what happens there on Sunday with Baltimore and even to a certain extent Kansas City. Because you got to remember, Kansas City, they have the tiebreaker against Miami. So if Miami loses and they're both 9-4, and 
then Kansas City will have the two seed and Miami will have the three. So you have to keep that in mind when it comes to the game Monday night. And then Green Bay, another one of those teams in the NFC that are scuffling, scratching, and clawing to see if they could get in. They're playing the Giants. Tommy DeVito's your quarterback the rest of the way. That's all you need to know. And that is your NFL for a week 14. Again, nothing that really jumps out of the page other than Philly, Dallas. And all right, I'll give you Buffalo, Kansas City, and a lot of those other games in between. Carolina, New Orleans, that's a game I didn't didn't bring up. Same for Houston playing the Jets. And now the Jets, who bring in Brett Rippon, another quarterback, although they're going back to Zach Wilson. And I didn't think we would see Zach Wilson ever again, but that just goes to show you how Tim Boyle was not the answer. And Brett Rippon, certainly, even if he comes in, he's not going to be a guy that's all of a sudden going to save the Jets season. Although the Jets season is over, they're 4-8, and eight, they're not making the playoffs. But now they're going to go back to Zach Wilson. This is his absolute last shot to show and prove, not only to himself, not only to his team, but pretty much the rest of football, if he's got anything, because we all know pretty much after this year, you would think he's going to be gone from this team. Because I don't know what that... Last year on his contract, I believe he's going to go into his fourth year, and that could be a team option. Who knows if they're going to pick that up or not. As I'm sure they'll probably shop for a backup come January, February next year. That is your football. I'm not going to get into any of the college football stuff. I talked about Army-Navy at the top. And I'm not even going to get into Ron DeSantis, how much of a buffoon he is for wanting to sue college football. And the NCAA over the snub that Florida State got by the committee there early in the week. Don't you have better things to do, Ron DeSantis, than try to fight the NCAA on that? And not that that's going to make a difference anyway. What are you going to sue him for? Oh, well, we want Florida State to get the last spot in the college football playoff. It's over and done with, my guy. Please. I don't even know if he's a sports fan. I know I read some of his quotes at all. We are Seminoles at heart and my kids and blah, blah, blah. He even made a mention of the tomahawk chop. I'm sure he probably did that to ruffle some feathers. But I don't know if he's a big sports fan, so I can't even judge. But you know me, I got to throw my darts. He probably couldn't tell the difference between a forward pass and a lateral. So DeSantis, just shut up. Go back to your hole. Hide wherever it is that you're going to hide somewhere in the Sunshine State because nobody wants to hear from you, especially when it comes to sports. So just shut up and just mind your own business. That's all I got to say about that. Now as I put on my high tops to go through the association and you have the NBA Cup semifinals tonight in Vegas. And all I have to say about this, and this is the maniacal side of me when it comes to sports, I am hoping and praying that Indiana and New Orleans pulls off the upset and your NBA Cup final Saturday night, ABC at 8.30 is Pacers-Pelicans. Why not? Why not showcase the Tyrese Halliburtons of the world? Obviously, we know about Zion Williamson and the Pelicans. Halliburton, who to me is the most underrated player in the sport. And I get it. To the die-in-the-wool or good NBA fan, they may look at that and say, Jay Reels, you don't even know what you're talking about. This guy is on the map. This guy is a great player. If you follow basketball, you already know that he is a top player in the sport. Well, if he's a top player, and I'm sure he could probably crack the top 20, but if you ask the average sports fan or even just the casual NBA fan, they couldn't pick out Tyrese Halliburton in a lineup. And maybe they could see that, wow, he had a triple-double against the Celtics there Monday night in the quarterfinal game, and maybe say, wait a minute, who is this Tyrese Halliburton? All right, fine, but like I said, the average fan... You couldn't even pick out who this guy was or what number he wears or what team he was drafted by. That is the truth. And we've seen this kid perform even in his days in Sacramento where a lot of people thought that this guy could blossom and flourish, but once they drafted De'Aaron Fox, you knew it was going to be curtains for him and then he gets traded for DeMontis Sabonis, which has been a trade that's worked out for both teams. So that's one trade that you like to see, especially two teams that have not really had a lot of success here over the last decade or so when it comes to playoffs or having big-time seasons. So kudos to both of those organizations. But for right this very moment, if the Pacers somehow, someway find a way to beat Milwaukee and if New Orleans does the same with the Lakers, 
That's what you're going to have. And I don't care what Adam Silver or any of the bigwigs there in the NBA offices on Fifth Avenue, which is a stone's throw from where I'm at right this very moment, I don't care what they say, they're going to gag on their kale salads, on their Cabernet Sauvignons, and their apple pie or their pumpkin pie, whatever seasonal pie you want to discuss here as Christmas slowly but surely approaches, they will be sick to know that it's going to be Pacers and Pelicans instead of Bucks and Lakers as your NBA Cup final. And as I mentioned, if it is Bucks and Lakers, which would be fantastic for the league, and it helps that the NBA, there's no college football, there's no NFL football, nobody's going to watch the hockey, the NBA is going to stand alone. I understand it's a Saturday night, which is tricky, whether people are out Christmas shopping, holiday parties, get-togethers, whatever it may be. It may be a bad night for television, but as far as sports, at least you have that to watch. And I'm sure they're hoping and praying that it's Milwaukee and Giannis versus LA and LeBron. But even with that, what will the ratings be? Will everybody run to the set to see who's going to be the NBA Cup finalist? Even if it is Giannis and LeBron, uh, I don't know. If they draw 10 million, I'd be surprised. If it's anything close to 15 million, I'll be shocked. Shocked. And I'll be interested to see how many people are going to be tuned in if it is Bucks Lakers, because if it's Pelicans and Pacers, forget about it. They would pray for 10 million people to watch that. But that just goes to show you that this NBA Cup overall, and I've talked about this for weeks, it hasn't garnered a ton of attention. And as it was with the Laker game the other night, they had that situation with the timeout at the end of the game where the inbounds passed, the Lakers didn't have possession, but for whatever the reasons, the officials granted them the timeout. And as we saw, the Lakers won there 109-106. And that was a joke. Reggie Miller was going crazy over the timeout call. How could you do that? So on and so forth. And the NBA had to swallow that pill. But for this overall... I'm sorry, it did not in any way, shape, or form tickle my fancy. I kind of hate to use that term, it's old, it's ancient, and ugh, but I couldn't say it any other way. And I love the NBA, but we know, just like the NHL season, it's a slog. And there may be certain games or certain matchups that you're going to look forward to, or if you have that Saturday Night Showcase game where it's, Celtics-Lakers or Sixers-Lakers or Warriors and Bucks. All right, you may have your radar up on it, but it's not like, oh, wait a minute. I got my popcorn ready. I'm going to watch this game basket by basket. But that's the NBA. And I can't fault them for trying or experimenting to see if they could get any type of buzz with this. But for me, yours truly, it did not. And even if it is Bucks-Lakers Saturday night and it could be a double overtime thriller and confetti could come down from the T-Mobile arena, I guess that's where it's going to be played, and whatever the trophy's going to look like, they could raise it above their heads. But after that's done, seriously? Are they going to have a banner raised to the rafters? If you're LA, a proud franchise that they are where it's all about championships and not NBA Cups, or the Bucks where they won a championship three years ago, uh, please, that's why i rather see Pacers and Pelicans because those teams have not won an NBA final. So maybe for the fan base in those cities, they could at least have that to hang their hat on to say, hey, we won the NBA Cup. Yeah, a nice pat on the back. All right, fine. But we all know at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. But anyway, I digress. That's your NBA. I know the schedule started up there yesterday where you had a bunch of teams playing and you're going to have a bunch of teams play tomorrow night, Friday as well. And no games on Sunday. So all we're going to talk about Monday when it comes to the NBA are the semifinals and finals. That's another thing. Will I watch tonight? Sadly, I'm going to have to be back and forth because I'm going to be streaming the Steeler game. And as you know, when you're streaming, it's not as if you could just change the channel to go to TNT or ESPN, whatever these games are on. It's going to be a situation where I'm going to have to stop the Amazon Prime and then go to TNT or ESPN to watch the NBA games. So it's going to be a pain in the neck. I may follow it on my phone. If it comes down to the wire for the first game where I'll look at it and say, all right, well, maybe I'll 
go ahead and watch and see what's happening down the stretch if Steelers, Patriots are going to be a bore, which it possibly could be. But when we look at the games, and as a matter of fact, the first game is at 5 o'clock, so I'm going to be commuting home. I thought it was going to be like a 6 and 9.30 deal because the game is going to be under the same building. But the first game is going to be ESPN, 5 o'clock, Indiana-Milwaukee, and then at 9 o'clock, TNT, New Orleans, and L.A. So while the Laker game's going on, that's when I'm going to have the Steeler game. I'll be watching that, so... I'll be paying attention. I'm going to follow what's going on. But again, am I going to be glued? As it is, I'm going to be commuting home at that time. So I'm going to miss pretty much the first half in the bank and maybe even start of the third quarter. So we will reconvene on Monday and certainly review everything that will take place here with this semifinal and the final there Saturday night and anything and everything else that's happening in the NBA. Now as I lace up my skates and turn my attention to the ice, and tonight you're going to have a player who has been well-renowned throughout the sport. Right, I understand he's not Alex Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby or a guy of that ilk. But for Patrick Kane, who's had a stellar NHL career, I would think he's going to be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Three Stanley Cups. I believe he won an MVP one of those years. I have to go back and check. I should know that off the top of my head. Did win an Art Ross Trophy, I believe, for most points in a regular season one year. But for Kane, who over the last couple of years has had a rough go. And what I mean by that is the tail end of a, if you want to call it a dynasty, I wouldn't. But after winning all those cups in the 20-teens and with the organization taking a nosedive, watching his teammate Jonathan Taze injured and not have to perform in and out of the lineup, battling COVID, not being 100%, the halcyon days of their Stanley Cups, a thing of the past, struggling with a last place team, then going into last year knowing that he's not going to have his teammate side-by-side and a one Jonathan Taze, requesting a trade, having a bad hip, getting traded to the Rangers, hopefully as that final piece to get them to a Stanley Cup, did not perform well here in New York, did not have a good postseason, went off into free agency, nothing happened during free agency as he had his hip surgically repaired, going into the season, not having a team, just recently getting signed by the Red Wings, a team that was his former foe, going back to his days when he was a member of the Blackhawks before realignment, uh, before, yes, when he was with Chicago, and then now, suiting up for the first time tonight, against the San Jose Sharks, who beat the Islanders the other night. Can I just throw that in the mix real quick? Islanders had a 4-1 lead in the third period, and they ended up losing 5-4 in overtime. Seriously? Ugh. Ugh! Well, anyway, back to Patrick Kane. This Red Wing team, I thought was going to have a turnaround year, and as it is right now, I picked them as an over, as far as my over on the win totals, and I'll get to that Monday with the NFL. I know I was going to talk about that as far as once we get past this first 13 games of the year. But as far as the Red Wings, with them bringing in Alex DeBrincat and a couple other guys to get the Red Wings back to respectability, because talk about a team that's fallen on hard times. They've been worse than the Blackhawks and have had some very lean years over the last half decade or so. But for... Kane to now be a part of this team who are just six points behind the Bruins in the Atlantic and just one point behind Florida for second place. Is Kane going to be that guy who has now been rebuilt? Not going to say Steve Austin, Lee Major's $6 million man here, and that's an old Wasp reference. I get that. That's why yours truly showing his age. But for Kane, is he going to be that leader in a relatively young locker room, a team that is looking to finally get to a postseason for the first time in forever, and not to say that they have visions of a Stanley Cup final or a deep playoff run, but I'm sure that they brought him on board one year, I believe the contract's very minimal for him, $2.9 million, how, or maybe two point seven five, how he could be that guy, that influence to permeate throughout the locker room. 
And I get it that he's had a bit of a checkered past, that incident in Buffalo where he's from with the taxi cab, with the driver, and who knows what happened there. That was a long time ago. I get it. And you would think that he's matured since then. But when it comes to, again, responsibility and a guy that I'm sure the locker room wants to lean toward as far as leadership, guidance, experience, all of that. And one more time, I'm not trying to make Patrick Kane out to be a player of this generation. When we think about the last 15, 20 years, the aforementioned Crosby and Ovechkin come to mind right off the bat. But Kane has been a fixture when it comes to winning, when it comes to success, when it comes to even individual success. And a guy that has had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. And after... Some down times in Chicago toward the back end of that Stanley Cup run. And for a year that could be forgotten, getting traded to the Rangers and everything that I just chronicled, it's almost as if he's gotten, I'm not going to say it's a rebirth, but now he could exhale, almost like a breath of fresh air. And not to say what he's going to do is going to be impactful, in this Atlantic race, or it's going to change the balance of the Atlantic or even the NHL for that matter. But let's see what the Red Wings do and how he performs throughout the remainder of this year and possibly into the postseason. Because I'm sure Kane looks at this not only as a bit of a reset, but for all intents and purposes, this could be his last hurrah. And this may also get him that one final contract. Not that it's going to be anything exorbitant. But who knows? If he has a big time year, and I believe he's what, 34 years of age. If he has success here, that could parlay him to maybe a two or three year deal elsewhere. Or maybe he stays in Detroit because he likes the camaraderie. He likes the way the culture is of this team. And who knows? He may look at the potential of maybe them winning a cup over the course of the next two or three years. Now, what type of player he's going to be? We're going to have to wait and see how that hip responds here between now and the end of this regular season. But I find this story fascinating based on everything that I just said. And one more time, is this going to wow the NHL or really take the league by storm of his signing in Detroit and what it could mean for Hockey Town USA, for Motor City, for a Red Wing team that is looking to get back or anything close to their heyday of winning Stanley Cups, of having the big-time overall success that they've had. That's the one thing that intrigues me about a player of his ilk and him continuing to write his NHL story, how this marriage could be one to keep an eye on. And I get it. It's a slog, a million games. These teams' games get lost until you get to April. But anything else going on in the NHL that I could really sink my teeth into or even to discuss? I can't say that I do. Am I going to go crazy about the Arizona Coyotes winning five in a row? Am I going to look at Edmonton, who has done the same and now are starting to get a little bit of a groove to see if they could climb up of the Pacific standings as I talked about Edmonton time after time throughout the course of the start of the season. I'm not going to get into the Islanders, huh? I spent 30 seconds on them a little while ago. So, Kane, San Jose tonight, I'm sure the hockey fan, they're going to be interested to see what's going to happen there. And I would think that the Red Wing faithful are going to have their arms wide open to accept him and see what he could do in this chapter of his hockey life. So all we could do is just monitor it, keep it in mind, and let's see where this may go as the Red Wings, who have had a pretty good year so far and have won seven of the last ten games, have won three in a row, and now with Kane in the mix, let's see if that could just even give them a bit more of a bump and a bit more of a boost to see if they could have a big-time regular season And who knows what that could mean come playoff time. And real quick on the Heisman, I know since I didn't really talk college football, it boils down between 
Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., the two quarterbacks, Oregon, Washington. Marvin Harrison Jr., the standout wide receiver, Ohio State. And Jaden Daniels, the quarterback at LSU. I would think if it was my vote, Michael Penix Jr., it would have to be him. I get it that Jaden Daniels had a monster year. He had that 600-yard game where he threw for 350 and ran for 250, I believe, somewhere around there. But I can't give it to him. LSU lost how many games this year? And granted, it's for the best college football player. It's not for the team that's had the most success. I get it. I can see Daniels getting some votes. I can see Bo Nix getting votes, but I think he gets canceled out because Penix and his Washington team beat Oregon twice this year. So bye-bye for him. And Ohio State, I know Marvin Harrison had a big-time year, but again, Ohio State is not in the playoff mix if you want to factor that in. I think it's going to be Penix. Would I be surprised if it's Daniels? No, but if it's Bo Nix or Marvin Harrison Jr., I'd be shocked. So I think Penix is going to be your winner. Downtown Athletic Club sometime, whenever it is. 8 o'clock, whenever the ESPN show will happen that night. And that is your latest and greatest when it comes to yours truly putting forth content, this podcast, and as always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, as always, I can't reiterate it as much as I have, whether it's at the top of the show or even now. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars. Write a review on whichever podcast platform you listen to. That will go a long way to increasing the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, or suggestions, you could do so at the following on my YouTube channel, at JReels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, Twitter, X, JReels1, just the number, or the old-fashioned way, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA sports since day one on this planet. I must have been, by the grace of God, he said, you're going to be something in the sports. Here it is. Do what you want with it. That's why I'm here each and every week, twice a week, into this microphone, through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers, with nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury, with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, critiques, praise, analysis on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>